podcast. So glad to be back on this bi-weekly schedule for the next month or so as uh, the semester continues on. Sorry if you can hear all of the street background noise, the joys of living in New York City. So I realized after I had published last week's episode that I completely missed the patron shout out. So a huge and very apologetic shout out to our wonderful patron, Caitlin. Thank you for continuing to support Artwatch podcast. I cannot express how grateful I am to have your support as a patron, friend, and of course a colleague. And then thank you, Horacio, for your donation to Artwatch Podcast through the website. It's so appreciated and will help the podcast continue to grow. So for other listeners, do you want to become a patron? Check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast. There are a few different levels, starting as low as $3 a month up to $50 a month if you are a diehard Artwatch fan. Each level comes with its own perks, and they range from shoutouts on air, like I just did, and close friends on IG, or sorry, Instagram. I have my notes as abbreviated. I should have known that. Anyway, so um, from close friends on Instagram, shoutouts on air, to merch discounts, and even original photographs created and designed by me. Um, so, but if Patreon isn't right for you, and I totally get that, not everybody wants the monthly commitment, you can always make a one-time donation of your choosing on the Artwatch podcast website. If you click on, um, I think it's under support, you'll see a link to Patreon, but also a link to donate. And it could be a dollar, it could be $20, whatever you want. I'm incredibly grateful for whatever, however you choose to support uh, the podcast. And whether you're a patron or whether you do a one-time donation, all of that money goes towards keeping my RSS feed platform subscription and then keeping the website up and running on Squarespace and a bunch of other little logistical things here and there. And of course, like my subscription to Creative Cloud. So it helps me tremendously and I greatly appreciate whatever you can give. Um, and then if you, if you can't donate, which I understand not everybody can, subscribing, sharing, and even rating the podcast on whatever your listening platform helps me tremendously. And it helps sort of bring the podcast up for other listeners or potential listeners to start following. And um, also follow me on social media. And it helps me with that dreaded ar- alg- algorithm. Goodness, I can't speak. And it gets the podcast name out there for other people who might be interested. So you can engage with me on social media, which I hope if you already follow me that you do. Um, and even share with your friends, whatever way you support Artwatch, whether it's a patron, donation, or just following me, listening to the podcast, and sharing with your friends. Um, I'm so thankful for whatever you choose to do. And uh, so anyway, the last bit of logistical business to take care of is the spring merch sale. It's still going on for another couple weeks. I think, yeah, about two weeks now. Um, And you can help spread the word of Artwatch by repping some uh, merch. And so, yeah, uh, this month you can get 10% off your entire merch purchase by using the code SPRING10. That's S-P-R-I-N-G and then the number 1010. Uh, I'll post the code on the episode bio. And then obviously you can see the link on social media and there's a little pop-up on the website uh, if you're interested. And I... I think I had mentioned last week, I finally got a water bottle. I've got a cute crop top coming in and some new logo design uh, that was created by Marissa Trevino. She was on the podcast from uh, on the Teotihuacan episode. And uh, yeah, oh, and I just made 
some buttons with the OG logo and the pyramid logo. And then I also created a koozie because it's spring break almost. And I know for if there's any college students listening to this, which I know many of you are, you're going to need something to, to hold your beverage of choice and keep it cool. Um, so yeah, check out the new stuff. I'm slowly switching things over to make it more affordable. And I was able to lower shipping costs. So prices are going down. <laughs> so if you can check out the new merch and use code SPRING10 at checkout for 10% off your entire merch purchase. Um, yes. Okay. So on to today's topic, the comparison essay. I hope you all found last week's episode useful, or at least sort of a starting point for how to write the historical context essay. And for those survey students, we really want to see how you're able to pull themes from the assigned readings, from your own research, and from class discussions into your conversation about the work itself. Um, and about the artist, too. Um, that should probably come in at some point. Uh, so, and then for upper level undergrads, then we really want to see how you're able to start adding to the scholarly conversation around your work, the artist, or even the period. And we really want to challenge you to take this next step. So this is where the historical context is really important in your growth as a scholar. And just um, since I know so many students have to take an art history class, it's going to help you in your writing because every class you're going to have to do some sort of writing. And this is this is a way to practice that too. So typically, most survey classes will then move on from the historical context to what we call the comparison essay. Now that you've got the skills to visually analyze your work, and then now you can situate, um, you can situate it within its historical moment, the next step is to compare it to another work. So the lower level art history classes that I took usually put this essay either in the midterm or the final exam, or maybe both. And then every class is different, so you may actually need to write a comparison essay for an assignment. I have something similar for my students where they create their own exhibition and I challenge them. I make them look at three works and I have to sort of compare them together. So every class is different, but at some point you'll probably run into a comparison of sorts. So for the exam version, you obviously have to write really quickly, and this will be a pull from your memory and skills that you've learned throughout the semester. So we're really looking for, have you paid attention in class? Have you done the readings? Are you maybe able to identify those works that we're looking at if we haven't identified it for you? Um, can you talk about the cultural context? Can you talk about how these two works work to, sorry, work together for lack of better terms. Um, so your professor will typically choose two objects that are relatively easy to analyze in a short period of time and ones that you can say a lot about. So we aren't trying to set you up for failure by any means. Um, so the two objects may even be works that you've discussed at length in class. Um, or maybe it was something that was on the review that you sort of come prepared to write this essay, since we know that you're doing it in such a short period of time. And then let's see what else. So yes, okay, so if it's, if it's something that you haven't discussed in class at length, but there's two similar objects, or there, there are objects that are similar to ones that you've discussed at length in class, we really want to see how quickly you can apply the skills that you learned throughout the semester to these two similar objects. 
But if your assignment, if sorry, if your comparison is for an assignment, then you're actually going to have a lot more time to fully expand your argument. And, um, we'll sort of expect a little bit more from you. And I'll get to that in a second. Another factor to consider is that whether you're creating the comparison for the test or the assignment, your professor may choose objects that are completely different, like from, sorry, they're from completely different cultures or maybe even time periods. So the challenge for you is then to find similarities and differences in the artist's treatment of the subject, medium, or maybe even the reason for creating the work. Um, so if it's a more contemporary work, are they both created, or sorry, are they both in line with the political moment? Like we sort of talked about last week with the lasso piece, like it was indicative of, of a lot of the politics of the period. So maybe there'll be something that was similar to it, or perhaps something that was maybe considered um, more avant-garde or vanguard, because that's what you say in, in Latin America. It's a little bit different. Um, so is it more uh, academic or is it more vanguard, you know? Uh, so anyway, back to, back to my notes. Um, so I think that the most useful model on how you would do this is for an exam, because if it's for an assignment, you can sort of take these same tools, but really expand on them since you're going to have more time to write the essay. Typically, you'll have anywhere from two to three weeks to do that. I give my students actually, I think, like three weeks. Um, so modeling from the idea that you will probably see objects from different cultures, I'm going to choose two from the ancient period because obviously, like, I don't know what your professor is specifically going to choose. Um, so your professor may ask you to identify each or they may have done that for you. Um, I'm going to include the photos of each on Instagram. Uh, it'll be a link for the episode post. So we are going to look at the Olmec colossal heads and the Toltec Atlantean figures that were part of the temple. Um, so the first thing you should do is sort of roughly plan your essay as soon as you get to this, this portion. Um, some professors will hand out like a test packet. Other professors, I know in my classes when I took survey, I had to answer the multiple choice question first, then we did the short answer, and then we finally did the essay. And so obviously you're probably a little bit tired when you get to that. So it might sound tedious and maybe you're like freaking out because you're running out of time. But the best thing that you can do is make a little T-chart and write a few quick notes before you start the essay. And this is really going to help find some main talking points. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't even have to write a rough draft because obviously we know that this is essentially a quick rough draft essay. So yeah, I, I am a fan of going to the T-chart where you have like your one, like let's put the Olmec on the left, Toltec on the right, and then we're going to talk about what each one has. And then you can circle the ones that sort of overlap. You can pick three main ones that are a little bit more broad. So for these, we could look at scale, medium, and the subject. So these are the three main talking points that you can probably come up with very quickly. Sometimes it's easier to rely on, um, we go back to the elements of art, right? Uh, so scale and medium. And then since they're both depictions of humans, the subject, perfect. This will give you plenty of room to talk about. Um, and they're broad enough so that you have the space to 
you know, a, write a decent, a decent sized essay. Okay, so the format. So before we get into the context, these are just a few general tips. Obviously, you're writing quickly, so we expect some spelling errors here and there, especially if an artist's name is hard to spell or maybe the culture is hard to spell. Um, but <laughs> if you remember anything, make sure that you that we can read your handwriting. If we can't read it, we cannot grade it. And you might be thinking, oh, that means they'll just give me an A. But you would be 100% wrong. And in my past experience, if I can't read it, it takes me so much longer to get through. And because of that, I'm paying even closer attention to what you're writing and your grade is going to reflect it. And that could be good or it could be very bad. Um, that or I have heard of other graders and professors who will usually score the essay lower because it seems like you don't know what you're writing about and intentionally made your handwriting difficult to read. Now, I don't really agree with that because you still wrote the essay, so we should try our best to grade it for what it is, but these are the things to consider. So if that means, you know, you practice your handwriting throughout the semester, practice your handwriting throughout the semester. Your professor or grader has anywhere from 30 to over a hundred students to get through. So if they can't read it, it may end up getting a lower grade by default. I remember in my sections when I was a TA, I had anywhere from 72 to 77 students. And then now as a professor, uh, last semester, I had I had a pretty light load last semester, about 45 students, and then I have an even lighter one this semester with only 25. So very happy on my end, but I know that's also not the norm. And typically survey classes have, at least the ones when I was a TA, they had over 100 students because I remember in one section there were three of us, three TAs, and we each had like 72 students per semester. So that is a huge class. Um, and that's partially just because everybody has to take these classes. So keep that in mind. Make sure we can read your essay. You don't know how that professor grades or how the TA grades. Um, and if it's a TA, they have their own finals to get through as well. So they might want to just rush through it. Okay. So in the essay, you still want an introduction, body paragraphs, and a conclusion. A good rule of thumb for an exam is that each paragraph should be at least five to seven sentences. It's not perfect, but it gives the reader, it lets them know that you know what you're talking about and that you're taking the time to do it. Typically, I've seen when I was grading um, essay exams that when students would write like one or two sentences per paragraph, quote, quote, because obviously that's not a paragraph, the essays were just a lot weaker and it's because they didn't take the time or they ended up maybe running out of time and uh, they they couldn't get a full argument across. And so it, it did, it impacted their grade. And so if you can at least hit that even five sentence uh, minimum, that's going to help you a lot compared to just writing two sentences. Okay, so let's see. Your introduction, as always, it needs to identify the objects that you're studying who created it, or what culture the works are from, if the artist is unknown, and then the period that the work was made, or a rough date that it was made. Um, obviously, it varies. If it was in the ancient period, you might just talk about the culture, because maybe we don't know about the artist, and then just the rough date. But for a more well-known work, 
then you'll definitely want to identify the artist and the date that it was created. Or if it's like, you know, Renaissance, you can just say Renaissance. Or if it's modern, you could say early modern. However, however it is your professor has allowed you. Every, every professor is different. I know when I took mine, it was within 10 years um, of the actual date the work was created, plus or minus 10. So follow the directions is what I'm trying to get at. So our quick introduction might look something like this. So the colossal Olmec head and the Toltec Atlantean figures both come from Mesoamerica. However, the Olmec work predates that of the Toltec. Each object depicts the human form on a larger-than-life scale. While the Olmec statue only depicts the human head, the Toltec sculpture depicts the entire figure's body. Additionally, both cultures utilize volcanic rock as their chosen medium. Although both objects are larger than life, depict the human form, and use the same medium, the artists handle each object differently in a manner that is indicative of their cultural canons. So we introduced both objects, gave a very, very brief visual analysis to sort of situate the reader, and then our final sentence functions as a thesis statement. So we told the reader the three main topics that we're going to focus on and why they're being studied. So like the historical context essay, we want our body paragraphs to follow the organizational structure that we laid out in our thesis statement. This will keep the reader grounded and it'll also keep you on topic during your test as you frantically write, because I know it is very stressful. So that means our first body paragraph should be about scale. The second paragraph should be about the human form, and the third paragraph will emphasize the medium. So our first body paragraph is about scale. What is that going to look like? Our topic sentence should indicate why scale is important, and that could sound something like this. The larger-than-life scale reflects the functional use and symbolic representation of each object. Great. It's broad. And we want it to be a little broad because it gives us room to be, expand the idea. So then our next few sentences will be in relation to this. And although we won't be able to cite our sources during the test, your professor will know that your information is coming from your readings and class discussions. So you should absolutely provide historical context in your essay to the best of your ability. Now, in contrast, for those who have this as an assignment, you definitely need to be citing your sources throughout the essay. Um, and so that will be in-text citations, footnotes, endnotes, and then a bibliography or works cited page. So the format is slightly different between the assignment and the test. Okay, so the rest of our paragraph after that topic sentence might look something like this. There have been scholarly suggestions that perhaps the Olmec heads were thrones, so the grand size might be a reflection of power. Additionally, it's believed that each head also functioned as an idealized portrait of the ruler, further emphasizing uh, scale in relation to power. Whereas each of the Toltec Atlantean figures functioned as support for the roof of the temple that was situated on the pyramid. Although the Toltec figures were weight-bearing works, they were also idealized and symbolic representations of Toltec warriors. Unlike the Olmec heads, each Toltec figure was not individualized. Although the scale of each figure was intended for different purposes, both serve as symbolic representations of power. So we talked about their function, right? We talked about why they're symbolic. And then although we pointed out the differences, we sort of in our final sentence, we bring together 
why they why they're similar a little bit like um sort of encapsulating why they're similar in regard to scale. So the final sentence of our paragraph, obviously that wasn't perfect. I sampled, I did this sample um, as if I was writing the test. So I timed myself too. And this is what I came up with very, very quickly. Um, the final sentence of our paragraph should wrap up the ideas in a way that notes the difference, but also highlights the similarity. And you also sort of, if you can, and if you have time, make sure you get a transition sentence in there. So then our second paragraph, will talk about the human form, um, like our thesis statement said. So a few things to keep in mind, and these are some questions that you can kind of consider as you're writing. How does each artist treat the human form? Are they idealized, naturalistic, stylized maybe? Is one more refined than the other? Why is it more refined? Um, these are just some questions that I know I try and get my students to talk about in class. And so uh, if you, if, if your professor does the same thing, these are the things that you should sort of be thinking about during your test. So then your paragraph will pretty much follow the same format as the previous one. You'll need a strong but open topic sentence that allows you to discuss the object separately and together. And then you'll need a few examples to talk about. And then finally, we're going to want a closing sentence that lets the reader know that you're transitioning to the next topic. And this some um, this might look like, like this brief paragraph I'm about to read you. So, another similarity between the Olmec colossal head and the Toltec Atlantean sculpture is the use of the human form. The Olmec head follows the culture's canon with a rounded face, puffy cheeks, wide nose, and very full lips and a slightly open mouth revealing the figure's gum. Okay, so I'm gonna take a, a moment here. So this is sort of a side note. Some of the colossal heads have a slightly open mouth that reveals the canon Olmec gummy mouth, like they're kind of like snarling, while others do not. But I was looking at one that has the open mouth, just for your own information. Okay, back to the paragraph. In addition to this, the figure also has a helmet that is indicated by a low patterned relief that encompasses the top of the skull. In contrast, the Toltec statue is full-figured with warrior weapons and attire, a pectoral in the shape of a stylized butterfly, and a headdress. The figure's face is more slender in comparison to the Olmec and has higher cheekbones and thinner facial features, such as the nose. So this would be a good start, and you would really want to expand a little. Maybe, um, is there a symbolic reason as to why maybe the Olmec had the helmet? Or... What does the pectoral stand for? Why is it adorning the figure? How is it re related to the figure? Um, these are, this is how you can expand. So just for clarification, the Olmec head was, I believe if I remember correctly, it was um, helmet, sorry. Um, it was partially in relation to, I think it was either the ball game or uh war. I'm not sure. It's been, it's been a while since I've, I've read up on the Olmec. Um, and I did this, like I, I was taking the test. Like I said, I didn't brush up on anything beforehand. Uh, and then, you know, for the Toltec, the, the butterfly, I do know this, that it was important on these soldiers because of the location. And so the butterfly was symbolic of soldiers who had, or warriors who had, had, uh, died and they were guiding other, other souls into the afterlife. Remember? Um, and so that's part of the reason why it was there. And so it was, it was like this symbolic representation, like this is also a warrior. 
and it's a warrior adorning a warrior. So that's, if you remember this on the test, you could expand on that. And that would be a wonderful paragraph, a very strong paragraph too. Um, and then you could also look at the treatment of the form. The Toltec is a little bit more delicate, whereas the Olmec is a little rougher, but this could also fall under the, the medium treatment. And uh, so, yeah, so this would be a good way to sort of transition to the next paragraph, which will end up being about medium because our thesis statement said it would be. So then your third paragraph, again, you're following that same format as the others, a strong topic sentence, a few examples, and a closing transition statement. And then lastly, your conclusion should really wrap up your ideas. It doesn't have to be like an incredibly long conclusion. Sometimes I think that students get away with a little bit shorter conclusion in the essay, or sorry, in the exam, as opposed to an assignment just because we know that you're rushed and you probably have to get on to the next essay if there is one, or maybe you had like 10 minutes left and you were only able to get three sentences out. So I tend to be a little bit more lenient on the conclusion, at least in the exam portion. So you'll want to, in your conclusion, highlight some of the main ideas that you made, and then you should really end with a sentence that answers the claim that your thesis, or that, sorry, that you made in your thesis statement. So um, we made the claim that these were the the way that each artist used uh, scale, medium, and the human form was in relation to the canon. So then we want to answer, or sorry, again, sum up why that is. Um, so yeah, of course, in an exam, you're going to be pressed for time, but if you have enough time, give it a quick read through and fill in any gaps that you notice. I like to leave a line, a line or two between each paragraph for this reason. So um, I know when I was doing my exams in my blue book, I would usually give myself like two to three lines in between. And that way, if I needed to, if, if I realized maybe I didn't emphasize enough that um, in the first paragraph, I didn't answer, how was this cultural canon? I can go back in and do that really quick. And that way it's, you know, it's not going to be the perfect structure, but your professor is going to know that you went back and edited it, or maybe they'll know that you went back and edited it. Um, and again, we're not going to be too hard on, on misspellings uh, of words. So let's see where else for my other notes. Okay. And then if you can't give a read through entirely, just make sure that your issues raised in the introduction are at the very least answered in your conclusion. Did you do what you said you would? So like I did very briefly talking about the conclusion, making sure that we ended on how both of these works are emblematic of their cultural canon. Make sure you answer that in your conclusion. Um, and then if your comparison paper was an assignment and not for a test, take these ideas and expand them to fit your page count. This will roughly give you, I want to say about two pages, which is not nearly enough for an assignment as a comparison. It's a pretty good page length for, for an exam. Um, and we, I don't think I would expect students to write more than three pages per essay on an exam. Um, and so for your assignment, honestly, you should be giving, I would say around maybe two paragraphs per idea. That's what I would do. 
anyway, um, it really just depends on the, on the page length that you've been given. Just make sure that you meet the minimum page count. And then also for the assignment, make sure that you're citing throughout the essay, whether that's in-text citations, footnotes, endnotes, excuse me, whenever your professor has indicated that they want from you and in the same citation format that they want from you. And then you also want to include in your, on a separate page within the document, because it doesn't count towards your page count, you want to include a bibliography or a work cited, and it's titled different based on the citation format that you use. So just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, overall, your comparison essay should show your professor that you can navigate the visual, the cultural, and historical, and the tools you've learned in class to address similarities and differences between two or more objects. Now, this could be how we did. We looked more at the visual uh, aspects than we did the, like, the, the theoretical, I think that would be a good word. But, uh, so if you're an essay, you know, and if you're an upper level student, you'll probably talk more about big ideas, right? Then, then maybe, um, some of the smaller things that we picked out for our essay. Um, so yeah, uh, the complexity of the comparison is going to be reflective of your class and what your professor has listed out in your assignment guidelines or test instructions, maybe even a test review if you were given one. I actually just tutored a student who they were allowed to basically take in a front and back sheet and he was essentially allowed to write his outline for his essay. He was given the, the essay question before he even got to the test. And so if your professor does that, absolutely take advantage of it and make sure that you have the points that you want or you have an idea of what you want, right? If you can't take that front and back sheet in. Um, so I can't really speak to what this might be for every professor and especially since every professor looks for something a little bit different. But I think the best advice I can give you is to make sure you read your guidelines closely or read the test instructions closely. And that's really going to help you pinpoint what it is your professor wants from you in that moment if they don't tell you in class, right? So, so yeah, I hope that this has been helpful. I know it was a very brief episode. Um, but it's a mini series, so there are mini episodes. Uh, so I know it's not the only way to write an essay, um, a comparison essay. There are many other ways that you can do it, and your professor may have one that works better for you, and that's totally okay. Um, and then if there are any professors out there listening to this, how do you teach comparison papers? I would love to know so that I can incorporate it into my own teaching and maybe compile a resource to post on the website, sort of like an OER. Um, so feel free to email me with your questions or, or uh, maybe even um, for your professors, your outlines. I would love that. Uh, so anyway, check out the merch sale going on this month on the website, www.artwatchpodcast.com. Like I said, I'm making some updates and switching the production companies to make it much more affordable and with lower shipping costs. So I hope this means that more listeners can rep Artwatch Podcast products. And then with the spring sale, you can get 10% off using the code SPRING10 at checkout. Follow me on social media, Artwatch Podcast, 
And then if you're interested in becoming a patron, visit patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast or make a one-time donation on the Artwatch website. So I will see you next week, and I hope you enjoyed this very, very mini episode. (laughs) 